Welcome to the Brand the Interpreter podcast. I am your host, Mireya Perez, and this platform is dedicated to sharing the stories of language professionals, that is, the interpreters and translators from around the world. This show aims to highlight not just the profession, but mainly the people behind the amazing work. These are your stories about our profession, and this is the Brand the Interpreter podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Liberty Language Services. Liberty Language Services is a woman and minority-owned language service company. They have over a decade of industry experience providing on-site, video remote, and over-the-phone interpretation, translation, and ASL services to public and private sector clients. They're continuously recruiting for freelance interpreters and translators, so make sure to check out their website for new career opportunities. Liberty is passionate about making interpreter education more accessible to everyone. So whether you're new to interpreting or have been interpreting professionally for years, you can take advantage of their online courses, workshops, and CEUs. Their most popular online course is the Professional Medical Interpreter. It's a self-paced, comprehensive, 40-hour medical interpreting course for individuals looking to get qualified to interpret in medical and healthcare settings. Upon completion of the course, students will be able to earn the title of Qualified Medical Interpreter. And for a limited time only, Liberty is offering a discount for the Professional Medical Interpreter course to brand the interpreter listeners. Use the discount code BTI50 when you sign up online for the Professional Medical Interpreter to get $50 off the course. You can find the discount code and more information about Liberty Language Services in the episode notes. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Brand the Interpreter podcast. This is Mireya, your host, and I am super grateful that you're here joining me today on this wonderful Friday morning, afternoon, evening, or whatever day it is that you're deciding to tune in to today's episode. Thank you for being here today. I also want to take this opportunity to let you know that this year I will be at ATA's 62nd Annual Conference. ATA, that's the American Translators Association, for those that don't know what that acronym stands for or what the heck that is. And uh, this year it will be taking place in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I will be there in person as a presenter with a workshop entitled Academically Speaking, Professionalizing the Role of the Translator and Interpreter in Education. That is session number 071, hashtag ATA62XLA1NTIN Education. And yes, you're supposed to memorize that. No, I'm just kidding. I'll make sure to use that hashtag in uh, my upcoming posts. And it'd be great if you could use that too if you're planning on attending and especially if you're planning on attending that session. I'm obviously excited because I've been invited to present number one, right? But number two, that we will have the topic of interpreters and translators in education uh, at this level. And being able to share about this topic is just a very special opportunity for me and for those that have also been invited to talk about the topic. And so your support would be greatly appreciated if you're going to be there. Even if you're not going to be there in person, if you're joining Joining virtually because yes, this year the event will also be taking place online, which means they're doing a hybrid model. The event will also be broadcasted remotely. So if you are planning just on attending, whether in person or virtually, I would very much love to see you there. That's taking place.
place again on Saturday, October 30th uh, from 8.30 to 9.30 Central Standard Time. And the session is entitled, Academically Speaking, Professionalizing the Role of the Translator and Interpreter in Education, presented by yours truly. Okay, that was that shameless plug-in just at the beginning of the show. Wanted to let you know, just in case you're planning on attending and you'd like to come visit me or come say hello. But today, I know today you're here for something different. Today, you're here to listen to our guest, Jennifer Santiago's. Jennifer Santiago's has a BA in Spanish from Wheaton College, Illinois, and is a freelance certified healthcare interpreter with 12 years of professional experience. Previously, a missionary for three years in Nicaragua, and upon returning to the U.S., she clearly sensed a call to medical interpreting, where her language and compassion gifts found their intersection. Over the years, she has also branched out into educational, immigration, community, and conference interpreting. When California Assembly Bill 5 threatened her livelihood and put language access at risk in September of 2019, Jennifer decided to become a grassroots advocate with Coptic. She met multiple times with lawmakers, mobilized colleagues, and wrote an op-ed which was published in Cal Matters in August 2020 during the home stretch of their advocacy efforts, ultimately contributing to the achievement of an exception from AB5. Jennifer currently serves as a steering committee member of Coptic America. She resides in Orange County, California with her husband and their five-year-old son. So, without further ado, here's Jennifer Santiago's. Jennifer, welcome to the show. I am so happy to have you. How are you? Hi, Mireya. Thank you. I'm doing well and really happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. I mean, I follow you on social media, so I know that you're always out and about doing something with regards to the interpreting profession, um, whether that's advocating or, you know, sharing some of your experiences, which I really, truly love and appreciate uh, when language professionals do that, um, because that's just another way of connecting with one another. So I'm happy that you're here today, and I can't wait to get started and hearing your story. Thank you. And that's one of the things I love to do about uh, being in the interpreting profession. I love to be able to connect with others and share and be helpful and hopefully um, inspire others as well. Yeah, let's do it. Well, as you may be aware, I enjoy taking back the conversation to the little interpreter's childhood and just a little bit about the experience. So share with us, Jennifer, <laughs> where did you grow up and what is a okay. fond memory of your childhood? Well, I, my husband likes to call me his uh, princessa de Hollywood, Hollywood <laughs> princess, because I was born at Kaiser's Sunset in Hollywood. Um, <laughs> so, but I grew up in the San Fernando Valley. Um, originally, my first five years, I lived in Van Nuys, and then we moved to Northridge. In terms of family, I have a, a brother who's four years younger than me. I used to pick on him a little bit. And <laughs> actually, my language learning or my love of language started to manifest with the way that I, I made up like my own little language that I, I used to, we had cats. So I would talk to the cats in this little language. <laughs> and I would also talk to my brother or sometimes call him names that I would make up. So I don't, do you want to hear what 
the cat language was? Yeah, what was the cat language? <laughs> okay. Boop and a bop and a got the lee and a beep and a bop. Oh, I see. That was, I don't remember all of it, but that was part of it. And I would call my brother, make up names like Katya, Batia. Um, and part of it was because my dad really fostered a love of language um, in me. We used to go on father-daughter dates before preschool he would take me to Carl's Jr. and we called it Happy Star because of the big star. And so he would sit me up on the counter and I would order his breakfast of um, he would get the steak and eggs and hash browns and I would get the pancakes and we would play rhyming games. And that's and that's how I started learning how to read. But also, I think fostered my my early love of language. Now, did you grow up in a bilingual household? I didn't. Uh, I did grow up in a household where my dad was a professional musician. So I think um, music is has a lot of commonalities with with language. And my dad taught me to improvise when I was 12 on the piano. I also played flute since age 12. Um, and I, I find similarities. Like I think with interpreting, you have to think quickly on your feet. And there's it's a similar skill set to when you're like playing jazz music or interpreting. My my dad, he was Italian-American. Um, he grew up speaking English. His parents spoke Italian, but didn't teach it to him. And my mom's Caucasian, um, English, Norwegian, and German roots. So I, di- I, didn't, I didn't have any Spanish spoken in the home. I did have a kindergarten teacher who I believe exposed us to some Spanish in the classroom. I was actually like in the minority at my, as far as like numbers wise, um, it was a largely Latino neighborhood where my school was for kindergarten. Um, so I, I heard some Spanish being spoken and, and, you know, picked up some words, but I didn't really start really learning it until age 14 in ninth grade. Um, high school. In high, well, actually at that time, junior high went from seventh to ninth grade. So it was my last year of junior high. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to go back a little bit with regards to this reference with music, because interestingly enough, it's the third time that I hear someone make a reference about um, learning music uh, and learning a language. So um, I'm, I, I just want to highlight that because there will be other <laughs> episodes where uh, I'll have guests actually talking about a lot of the similarities with regards to both of these things. So right. important point. So thanks for having mentioned that. So now you say in junior high 14 you are you're taking spanish classes or you get interested or how did that how did how do you remember that being born in you well i signed up for spanish um i knew i wanted to to learn it and my best friend in in junior high she came to the us from tijuana when she was 12 we actually we met in 7th grade so I, and she didn't speak any English and I didn't speak any Spanish at the time. So we, we were trying to teach each other our languages and I learned a little bit then. Best then, friendships. Yeah. Yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and so we, we would run and we were the fastest two runners in the PE class. Ah, <laughs> and, <laughs> okay. and then, um, but in ninth grade, my teacher, Miss Inverso had, she had such a passion for the language and she was a stickler that you had to pronounce things correctly. And she was very creative. Um, she had one of those kush uh, balls, if you remember, mm-hmm. like that soft ball. So she would <laughs> toss it around and do different games and exercises. Um, and I just fell in love with the language and immediately started practicing 
with my peers, um, which I had ample opportunity to, to do so at school. Um, I think I used to drive my brother crazy because I would practice my Spanish vocabulary around the house. <laughs> I really love the fact that you were even practicing it outside of the, I suppose you can call, call it a comfort area, right? Because uh, it was outside of the people that um, are typically speaking it like, or maybe it's the reverse. Maybe it's usually people don't like to use uh, that second language where people, you know, speak it already because they're too embarrassed. So the fact that you were like, you know, totally diving in and just saying, I'm going to speak it in both. Uh, I mean, obviously uh, a complete immersion helps uh, with the practice of the language. So then mm -hmm. at what point in your life would you say you, you came to the realization that you can use that second language of yours to assist uh, limited English proficient uh, uh, families or, you know, or just people in general? Well, let me start with one memory. Um, the summer after ninth grade, I went on a week-long short-term missions trip with the youth group at my church. We went to Tecate, uh, Mexico, and we were building a home for a family. But what, what most piqued my interest was I liked to play soccer with the kids in the barrio. We would, so we were playing and they're pass, like passing the pass it, a me, a me. <laughs> and I got to practice my Spanish with those kids playing soccer. And that just was the world to me. And I realized like being able to connect with them and use my Spanish brought me so much joy. And I knew that I wanted to continue my study of Spanish and In high school, I took Spanish two, and then I didn't have room in my schedule to take Spanish three because I was, I was in orchestra for my flute. I was on track and cross country, and those both took up uh, periods. And so I had to take Spanish three at a community college over the summer. And then I remember junior year walking around campus feeling so sad and dejected that I didn't have Spanish in my schedule, but I had to like put up with it basically. Right. So finally, I get to college and I said, what am I going to major in? Spanish. Um, you knew it. Yeah. Originally, I thought I wanted to be uh, anthropology, sociology, like with a minor in Spanish. But then as I really considered it, I, I decided, you know, Spanish was my passion. And I knew I wanted to use it in direct service to people. So one of my professors, when I graduated, she said, oh, you would make an excellent college professor. And why don't you go into teaching? And and I just thought about it. And I said, you know what? That's not where my heart is at. I really want to use it in direct service. So I I did use my Spanish. Um, I was a bilingual aide my first year out of school at an elementary school, second grade. Um, I had a couple of part-time jobs, one at a tutoring center and one um, at the elementary school. Then I got a job a couple years after that at, at a community mental health agency as a case manager, uh, working mainly with, with Spanish-speaking women dealing with depression and anxiety. And I really enjoyed that. So being able to use my Spanish directly with, with community members who were actually dealing with mental health issues that, that I, I myself had dealt with personally. And I felt like I had compassion and the ability to more effectively help them. Um, and then I used my Spanish to help fulfill my, I had a lifelong dream of, of becoming a missionary. So after, after working at that mental health agency, I was either going to pursue an MSW and go and become a social worker, or I was going to pursue the dream of being a missionary. 
and, and the missionary dream won out. <laughs> so I, I went to Nicaragua for three years. Oh, wow. Um, and got to serve in a lot of different capacities, working with kids and, um, and youth and adults. And I even taught second grade my last year there, which really? <laughs> teaching all the subjects and the Nicaraguan schooling system is different from here. And that was very challenging, <laughs> I can but I, I still have a couple of friendships with some former students that I, I stay in touch with. Oh, that's so great. So you, you become uh, part of this uh, missionary in Nicaragua and, you know, you're, you're still using your language skills. Uh, when did you decide you wanted to take formal training for the profession? That actually came when I, I came home from the mission field. And I was trying to decide, what am I going to do next? What's my career going to be coming back here to the States? I remember uh, very clearly, I was, I was going out to lunch with some friends and talking to them about what I could possibly do. And the, the idea of being a medical interpreter came very distinctly into my mind. And I said, you know what, this is going to be a way for me to combine my language gift with my compassion gift. Hmm. And I just what I went ahead and found a nine month medical interpreting program at the Southern California School of Interpretation in Santa Fe Springs, signed up, took the Saturday classes, and I started getting a couple of assignments um, from an agency or two, like right as I was completing the program. Mm -hmm. At that time, they didn't have um, any certification available because the state of California had stopped giving it for medical interpreters. This was in 2009. Mm. Um, but I had some opportunities to, to start working through a couple different agencies. And so a couple years after that, I did get certified through uh, CCHI. Wonderful. Congratulations. Yeah, that, you know, you go through the process of not just the training, but also the certification. It absolutely makes a difference in the profession, you know, and, and the professionals that are out there. And so you start your journey. Um, now, you mentioned agencies. So did you begin and stay uh, on this path of uh, being a freelancer? It, which, is that the title you, you would use for, you know, the services you provide and how you are employed? Yes, I, I was a freelancer from the get-go. Um, I gradually built my, my clientele of, you know, it started off with just a couple of agencies, but then it grew little by little. And part of that was just through networking, getting to know colleagues and finding out about different agencies and reaching out, sending emails, calling. Once I got certified, some you know, agencies would start to look for me more often. It was just a gradual process, though. Right. But I mean, it's I went from two agencies to like last year when I did my taxes, I think I worked for 58 different entities. <gasps> oh, my, that's a lot of paperwork. <laughs> yep. Wow. Yeah. And so I think you mentioned a couple of key things uh, that I just kind of uh, want to highlight and, and reiterate, which is, you know, the the 
connecting with other professionals, connecting with other language professionals to be able to make those connections with the right agencies. I think that that is important, um, you know, for those that are listening that are considering it being a freelancer or maybe are a freelancer and hadn't heard this tip. It's mm-hmm. important because I know that the moment that you get certified or somehow your name gets thrown into, I don't know where, um, you begin to get calls from agencies. So they begin to connect with you and not all agencies are created equal. So, you know, when there's experiences from others in the field that are already seasoned in the field and that have had a few experiences with some agencies. Um, and so, you know, knowing that they can make a, a good recommendation for, for an agency, I think that's huge, you know, um, and, it, and I, I almost feel it's even important. I think it's super important. And I would say, you know, as someone who's been in this profession for, it's going to be 12 years now, um, to any newcomers, get get on uh, Facebook groups. Like, for example, the, uh, it's called Certified Interpreters Group on Facebook. That was so key for me learning, you know, a couple of years after I got certified, I just, I started sending Um, you know, private messages to some colleagues on the group to try to get a feel for whether what I was charging was appropriate or, you know, getting up the gumption to to raise my fees. It it was a little bit of a scary thing at first, but then once I did it and I got a positive response from quite a few agencies and I realized, you know, you have to be able to charge what you're worth and also not 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 bring down the market for our colleagues. So you know, it's a fine line. You know, you can't um, you can't be talking about fees per se in public. But if you talk to colleagues, they can give you like an appropriate range. Um, and I think that's really important to do and to, to stand your ground and not be intimidated, you know, by agencies that might say, oh, you know, you need to lower your rate. It will give you more work like that, um, because there's so many that are willing to pay um, a higher fee. And with all all of the time and the effort and everything that we invest, um, we need to be able to to charge an appropriate fee. Right. The schooling, Mm -hmm. you know, that that it begins with that. Right. So it begins with the the, with the training. But then, of course, even through the process, everything that you're doing, you know, the service in the way in which you provide it. um, And of course, even just getting prepared for the assignment. So, yeah, there's all, all sorts of stuff that play a part in how you charge for your service. But I think, you know, in addition to the advocacy piece for self-advocacy, once you begin to advocate for yourself and to advocate, you know, for for a standard in the profession, you're also advocating um, without you knowing for others as well. Right. So like you just said, it's you know, you you create. Um, a standard throughout the profession and you don't you're not part of you know lowering those standards because you're lowering your rates or because you're feeling pressured um which actually we we're going to get into with regards to advocating for the profession because part of the information that I've seen that you share out and you're very passionate about this information that that you're sharing with other language professionals in particular 
freelancing language professionals. And you correct me, you know, whenever I need to use a correct term, Jennifer, when it comes to freelancing, because as as you might know in our in our audience, you know, I am uh, I'm a little bit of both, but I am employed full time. So my interpreting assignments come from, you know, directly from the school district. So if I if I miss something, if I miss a key point or get it wrong, you correct me at any time. But um, when we're talking about uh, freelancers, freelance language professionals, um, a little bit over a year ago, California was um, slapped not only with a uh, global pandemic, and everything that happened to language professionals, particularly those that were freelancing, you know, I mean, it affected everyone. Right. But um, it, uh-huh. for the sake of this conversation, we're going to focus on how it affected language professionals specifically and even more specifically freelancing language professionals. Right. Right. And so we were hit with the global pandemic. And then not long after that, the language professionals in California were slapped with something called AB5. Could you give us a quick uh, synopsis of what AB5 was? And and I say was, you'll explain it better. And how that impacted language professionals, freelancing language professionals. Sure, Mireya. Um, AB5 or Assembly Bill 5 was passed in, in September 2019. It actually went into effect January 1st of 2020. And it was mainly aimed at Uber and Lyft drivers. And basically they were saying that they had been misclassified as independent contractors and should be converted into employees. In that process of making this labor law, over 300 professions were swept up into this wide reaching net, including translators and interpreters. So basically there's a test called an ABC test to determine uh, whether a company has a relationship that's an employee relationship or an independent contractor relationship with the person that they're contracting with. And it basically prohibited us from contracting with language service companies or with agencies. If you're in the same line of work, which is language services, you can't do it as an independent contractor. You have to become an employee. That's what it was under AB5. So we fought tooth and nail to be able to win an exemption from that, to be able to protect our ability to to freelance and also to stand up for language access because 75% of interpreters and translators are freelancers. And most of our, our model for our industry is built on that kind of independent contractor relationship. So what the, what did that look like for an interpreter, let's say, you know, freelancer that was working with an agency that was from Minnesota, let's just say? Right. So even out of state agencies, um, they were governed by the same labor law. It didn't matter if they were in California or out of California. If they were contracting with a Californian language professional, they had to abide by AB5. And so, did they want to hire you as an employee? No, they didn't want to hire us as employees either. So some right. agencies just said, oh, we're not going to work with Californians. We're going to, you know, they sent cutoff notices Mm. And you so know, double so, whammy. You're impacted yeah. by, you know, the slowdown due to the effects of, you know, the COVID closures and everything that's happening. And then you're also impacted by, you know, if you're working with agencies that um, whether out of state or in the state, right? Like all of a sudden they're having to navigate this whole thing too, because they they don't necessarily 
want to hire you as as employees either. Right. right. And then, yeah. And some some agencies, they they also said, oh, you need to incorporate if you're going to keep working with us. But the bill itself didn't even say that. Um, so, I mean, there was a lot of misinformation going around. And but I think the important thing was that in my case, I cared enough about the profession. I love what I do. I love being able to serve people with my Spanish and I wanted to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And I recognized that it's not so hard. I couldn't do it on my own, though. I needed the help of others. I needed something that was like an organized strategic effort to, to help and that's where um, when I first uh, I attended a, a meeting put on by Coptic, the Coalition of Practicing Translators and Interpreters of California, we, we heard about how we could actually make a difference, that we could write an email, we could call our representative, we could go meet with them or, or meet with their staffer or, you know, eventually try to get a direct meeting with the representative uh, themselves. And what really made it work was seeing the way that colleagues banded together. So you had, there was like one meeting where I went with seven other language professionals to meet with our assemblymen um, in January of 2020. I went with three Arabic colleague, Arabic speaking colleagues, um, one Vietnamese, and then there were four of us Spanish speaking interpreters. And there was a sense of camaraderie that we're, Hey, we're doing something to make a difference. Yeah. And, and representation and diversity, which I, I mean, that in itself says a lot already. Yes. Yes. And there was also, um, so there's like a willingness to do something and make a difference. And then we were able to be guided by, we had a professional advocate that the coalition hired who helped coordinate all the nuts and bolts of you know, how to reach out to the representatives and how to to make it work in a strategic way. Wow, that's so great. So so you guys are being a part of the solution, right? In this case, that, that at least that's how I'd like to I like to put it right. Um, you know, let's be a part of the solution somehow. So you guys become a part of the solution and your efforts pay off in such a way that what happens to AB5? Well, a- AB5 um at, at the very end of the summer, uh, around this time last year, um, we were we were in the the home stretch of our efforts to get an exemption for translators and interpreters from AB five, and I, I had the opportunity to contribute to that by writing an op ed where I share my freelancer story and share about why we really needed this exemption, and we we did get the exemption and it's. Um, in it's called AB 2257. It's a full exemption uh, for translators and for interpreters. It's uh, an exemption under referral agencies. There's certain conditions though, that we, that we need to make sure we fulfill. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like things just went back to normal, exactly how they were. Mm-hmm. It's important to know what the law says and, um, and the interpreting agencies have to have to have certain documents on file like to show that that the interpreter that they're working with is an independent contractor. Oh, OK. So does it fall more on the agency or is it is it still, you know, a, a dual effort between the interpreter and the agency now? The agency is the one that's like if there was any crackdown, it would come on the agency and not on the individual practitioner. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important for interpreters and translators to understand and even 
to help educate agencies because some of them are not totally up to speed mm. on this new law. Especially if they're out I of mean, state, I imagine, right? Right, mm. right. Mm. So, I mean, I think I, that speaks volumes in what with what can happen with, you know, uniting voices. And you mentioned it briefly, you know, when you said I, I didn't feel that I could do something alone. And so I joined others. Right. And uh, yes. you joined a, a bigger force. And I think exactly that, that in itself is huge because it just shows you the power of unity, you know, particularly mm-hmm. when it's power of unity towards one specific destination. So I think that's incredible. So this happens in California. Still, I had this like I, I could sense this this sense of um you know, it like this isn't over, you know, and other states need to kind of look out for this type of thing, you know, mm-hmm. so I'm kind of I'm kind of reading these kind of things that are being posted and shared by still language professionals that are like, you know, let's not let's not yet say that this is all done and, you know, brush it under the rug or anything like that, because something could creep up again. That's similar. And then right. uh, something comes up at the federal level. Hey, before we continue, let me tell you a little bit about the HLS Education Terms Online Glossary. The HLS Education Terms Online Glossary provides easy access to the Spanish translation of educational terms. No more shuffling through countless glossaries. The HLS Network of Language Consultants comprises a veteran district and county office of education translators that have an in-depth knowledge of K-12 terminology. Translators will have access to terms, acronyms, and phrases related to special education, English language learner programs, parent advisory committees, medical and legal vocabulary, academic subject-specific terms, and so much more. In addition, this live glossary allows users to request new terms and tag favorites. Using the HLS Education Terms online glossary will increase your translation speed, accuracy, and vocabulary consistency. Try a free 30-day trial today by visiting www.hlsglossary.com. Talk to us a little bit about that, Jennifer. Sure. Um, It's called the PRO Act, uh, or Protecting the Right to Organize. Um, It's a federal piece of legislation which is currently in the Senate, and it's, it's already passed the House of Representatives. And it contains the same ABC test that is in AB5, which would... Um, basically, again, it would misclassify freelance interpreters and translators as employees under federal labor law. And this would, if it would pass, it supersedes state law. It would cover all interpreters and translators in the U.S. workforce, um, which is huge. So we need to make sure that we're vigilant and that we take action now to reach out to our senators, you know, so there's two senators in each state. And I had the opportunity in February to meet with a representative from Senator Feinstein's office. I did. Um, it was called the Language Advocacy Day that J- JNCL does every year. So in February of this year, I met with um, Senator Feinstein's aide and he was actually very like he had listening ears as, as I shared my story about what AB5 did in California um, and how it was threatening language professionals and, and how we need to avoid that same mistake on a federal level with the PRO Act. 
So, so then you go, uh, you know, you're being very proactive, obviously, just like you did. Now you've got some experience, right? So just like you did for AB5, now you're like, oh, you know, we know how to, how to get this conversation started, where to go and stuff like that. Um, so you're doing your part on that end as well. But in addition to that, you're also bringing the information on other platforms, you know, where they're allowing you to, to speak about um, advocacy uh, of the profession, one of which happens to be at the ATA conference, right? That is coming up in October of this year, 2021. So how about you share with our listeners? Cause that's super exciting that you're, you know, you're going to be out in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota this year, and you're going to be sharing a little bit more about that. So talk to us about even that presentation there in terms of what you're bringing and, you know, what it's called so that people that are going can, could sign up. Thank you. Um, yes, I'm super looking forward to it. It's going to be my first ATA conference. It's yeah. actually, it's hybrid. So people have the option of either participating in person in Minneapolis or remotely. Right. Um, and the session that I'm coordinating, it's number 44. If you go to ata62.org and you look at the different educational sessions. Um, it's going to be on Friday, October 29th at 2.30 Central Time. And it's called Raising Our Voice Together, The Power of Teamwork in Translator and Interpreter Grassroots Advocacy. And I, I, I put that word teamwork in there because that's the thing that I really took away from my involvement with the grassroots advocacy, um, that was the most encouraging aspect was how I was able to connect with other colleagues, how we spurred each other on. We, you know, helped each other know, okay, you're not alone in this. And there's power in. Um, Unity. In unity. Exactly. Yeah, 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 for sure. And I think mm -hmm. like, even like how we were talking about earlier that, you know, it started as a California thing. And now this is this is a federal thing. So if there's it ever is. been a moment for language professionals to unite, at least here in the States, I mean, I, I, I would I would think this was definitely aside from the COVID we united. I think we did uh, great work in coming together and helping each other out with resources. And yes, for sure. So now in this, in this way, during this time, um, it seems like it's another opportunity uh, to have that power and unity and to be able to do uh, something that is going to affect all language professionals, um, you know, and I, and I feel that it, it could even have an effect whether we're, um, uh, employees or not, because even if we're employees, we can support, you, you just never know where life can take you. And, you know, we want to have those opportunities and that flexibility as well. Um, so if that's even a case for you to even think about in the future, then being a part of the solution in this case, such as what you're offering, you know, being sure. informed and being mm -hmm. proactive, right? Yes. And like you mentioned, even employees, like if, if you're an employee at a court or at a hospital or in a school, some employees may want to do freelancing on the side, you know, and this this legislation is threatening that ability to operate in that capacity. Well, you bring up a great point, because even as entities, you know, that that have employee or in-house interpreters and translators, we still need our freelancing partners because we cannot cover all assignments internally. Exactly. So it does affect our colleagues. Yeah. Like I was I shared with you that I've been doing a lot of 
IEPs or individualized educational plans because the districts cannot cover all of them. So they contract with outside agencies. That's right. Yeah. 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 So even if, you know, we're thinking, oh, that's just going to affect the freelancing, you know, department and it doesn't really have anything to do with me. Um, No, it does because it does affect even the services that we're providing our own families when we can't cover um, in languages. If you're not, never mind, you know, we're not even speaking the languages that you are covering currently, but what about our freelancing colleagues for those other languages that is not, are not offered, right? As an in-house language that is covered. So, right, right. Before I forget, uh, could I just mention, um, I'm part of the ATA Advocacy Committee, and each committee has the opportunity to to pick a distinguished speaker. And our committee uh, selected Hans Johnson, who's the the professional advocate that that works with, uh, we are now Coptic America, tackling the PRO Act on a federal level. And so he's going to be doing uh, session eight, which says who works for you using the power of constituent driven advocacy. That's Thursday, the 28th of October at 1130. And then he's also doing another session number 100 as California goes, how to leverage the lessons of a breakthrough when Saturday, October 30th at 1130. So that's going to be sharing a little bit about how we won that exemption from AB5 and how we can apply those lessons learned to what we're now facing with the federal PRO Act. Yeah, and this is for uh, ATA 62 conference that's taking place in October. That's a little free promo yes. for you, ATA. You're welcome. Yay, ATA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so no, thank you. Thank you so much. So for those of you that are interested in learning a little bit more and you know connecting even with Jennifer, uh, make sure to have all those connections to Jennifer so that she can connect you with all the right people. We're getting ready to wrap up here, Jennifer, and it's been such an interesting, a conversation, a very educational conversation, because there's so many things out there that are still kind of lingering that are, you know, not quite resolved and that could still use a lot of our help and Mm -hmm. our involvement. So I want to take the opportunity to thank you. Just very happy that you were here today. But before we go, we still have a couple more questions. Sure. Um, one of which is always being able to provide, whether it's the the new generation of language professionals coming in or someone that maybe is interested in doing a bit of a transition, maybe in a specialty, or maybe they want to go into freelancing from you know being employed. What is mm-hmm. a recommendation you would like to share uh, for new generation language professionals? I would recommend that you get connected to a colleague who's been in the profession, you know, maybe 10 years or more, or someone who can help give you guidance and impart wisdom and, and be cheering you on. And I would also say you need to value the importance of professional development and take advantage of those opportunities. And don't go it alone. Like, just like I was sharing about how I connected with other colleagues and that's how I found out, wait a minute, I think maybe I'm not charging enough and I need to raise my rate and then yeah. and raise it again. And it, you know, and it's not so scary. Yeah. Oh, those are all great points. Absolutely. You know, try to find a, a mentor or network 
And yeah, absolutely connect in that professional development. Great points, Jennifer. I'm going to do a random, a very random question from my little deck of random questions. All right. Uh, uh, for okay. you. <laughs> I'm ready. So, a random question before we leave and you, you leave us with your contact details on where everyone can connect with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's go with what is one thing you want to accomplish in your lifetime? That's huge. One thing I want to accomplish in my lifetime, I want to raise my son, Caleb, to love God with all of his heart and to love others and serve them with the unique gifts that he's been given. Ah, I love it, Jennifer. And he's Mm -hmm. got a great role model for that. So beautifully said, where can our listeners find out more about you and the work that you do? People can connect with me through email. It's uh, Jennifer at AntorchaInterpreting.com. Um, I have a website also, um, AntorchaInterpreting.com. I'm on Facebook as Jennifer Santiago's, Twitter at Jen Santiago's, and I'm also on LinkedIn and Instagram. You can look me up and I'm pretty easy to find. Sounds great. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Jennifer. It has been a pleasure. Sure. And one more bit of contact information. This is not directly for me, but I'm serving on the steering committee for Coptic America. And the website for Coptic America is coalitionptic.org. Coalitionptic.org. IC.org. And there's lots of helpful information about what you can do um, as far as the PRO Act and contacting senators and getting involved. And if you're driving and cannot take note of that, don't you worry. I'm going to include those links in the show notes so that uh, when you're safe and no longer driving, you can click on those links to get more information. Thank you so much, Jennifer. I really appreciate your conversation and you being willing to share your story with us. Mil gracias. It's uh, a pleasure to be able to be on your podcast. Thank you. Learn a foreign language. Open up a whole new world. Learn a foreign language. You can do anything if you try. You wrote this in ninth grade? I wrote that in ninth grade Spanish class for extra credit. Hey, thanks for sticking around till the very end. If you'd like to connect with me, head on over to the website, brandtheinterpreter.com and click on the connect with me tab. You can also stay connected on social media, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube as Brand the Interpreter or Mireya Perez on LinkedIn. Till next time.